0: This recording is from Fintech Nexus USA, formerly known as London Fintech USA, held at the Javits Center in New York City on May 25th to 26th, 2022. It's from our keynote stage and is titled, How the World's Largest Digital Bank Brought Millions of People into the Financial System. Speaking on this session is David Velez from New Bank with moderator Nigel Morris from QED Investors. Good morning, everybody. This is David Velez. I'm Nigel Morris. David, <clears throat> hello. Um, I'm going to try. I told you we're tw- we've got 20 minutes, and I, I I told David that I'll try and find a few minutes at the end for him, and my uh, introduction will be uh, hopefully a little less than 15 minutes. Um, I'm really, really delighted to, to have a chance to have a conversation with David. Um, you know, he's is a storied history with what he's built at New Bank. And for him to be able to share some of his uh, 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 learnings and insights on the journey. Because many of you are on that journey, or are hoping to be on that journey, or planning to be on that journey. And uh, I think it's a a really uh, terrific opportunity to do that. We have a...
1: No, I was here. Okay.
0: and uh, thanks to Peter for uh, giving us a, sh- a chance to do that. And I just found out uh, the other day that Peter is actually an Arsenal fan, for any of you who follow uh, Premiership football. And I'm a Spurs fan, so uh, I'm not going to hold that too much against him. Uh, D- D- um, uh, David is, fr- is fresh from coming back from Davos, you told me last night, um, where you were rubbing shoulders with the world elite. And I also saw on social media today that uh, David just got an award from Time for being one of the 100 most wor- uh, influential people in the world. That's pretty, pretty cool, isn't it? Um, so, my question, so my first question to you, David, is, um, you, uh, and I pinch myself a lot and uh, feel incredibly blessed with uh, how life has treated me. But do you pinch yourself and say, oh, my gosh, I, isn't it incredible that I am sitting here on top of this juggernaut?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and just to give a big, a bit of background of our story, we started in Brazil in 2013. Uh, effectively, the opportunity that we saw was you have five banks that own 85% of all the investments, credits, lending, insurance, very, very concentrated market. When you look across Latin America, it's effectively the same thing, same thing in Colombia and Argentina and Mexico. And even in all emerging markets, you find the level of consolidation uh, really uh, across the financial industry. And... Uh, I was a banking consumer in 2013. I went to try to open a simple simple bank account in Brazil, and it was a five-month process. I had to go to this banking branch, was trapped in this bulletproof door with armed guards looking at me as a criminal, (laughs) had to get out, leave my backpack outside, wait 40 minutes, and after five uh, months of a lot of frustration, I could not understand how it was possible that these banks were treating customers this way. How was that even possible in one of the most profitable banking industries in the world? And so I started to really study a bit the industry. Uh, I'm, a, I'm not Brazilian, I'm a Colombian, so I was almost a you know, complete outsider. And uh, after a couple of meetings and, and, and some work, decided that I wanted to really try to change that industry, being fully digital bank, consumer obsessed, and building a technology company that would provide financial services for the banked and the unbanked consumers. So, our goal was to have one million credit cards in five years. Uh, at, the, at the time, it seemed completely impossible. Uh, we talked to, I was still you we talked to 30 CEOs, experts of the biggest banks in Brazil. They all told us that it was impossible, that the big banks were going to crush us. But we wanted to give it a shot. And uh, right after that, starting in a small house, everything went way faster and better than we expected. And and no, I remember million. the small house. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, right. it was a little house. My co-founder lived in the second floor. We had a dog, and we worked pretty hard there for, 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 a, for, for an entire year trying to get launched the first product, and, and that million cards uh, came in two years. And then we went back and put another zero from one million to 10 million uh, in five years, and this 10 million came in two years. And then we went back and put another zero, and that's our currently goal is, is 100 million customers. We're at 60 million. And uh, the growth really continues to, grow, to, to, to come very, very quickly, word of mouth, uh, with a very focus on the experience, very high NPS, and, and a lot of excitement. I mean, uh, um, David is being uh, um, humble, as
0: always. His net promoter score is 90, and it's actually 94 in Mexico. And uh, you know, across our co- uh, QED portfolio, I don't think there's uh, many companies that uh, are in that range. They are truly incredibly special. So, was there a you told you, you give the example of, um, of how hard it was to get access to products um, in, uh, in Brazil and how the incumbents weren't really focused digitally? But was there the a single moment, David, where you said, Look, I really believe that I can build this, I really believe that I can pull off Nubank?
1: Yeah, the first twelve months were, were a lot of kind of discovery of figuring out how to do it. The word fintech didn't exist. The regulator had no idea what cloud meant. So there were, you know, we needed to pick either one, either Visa or Mastercard. One of them told us no. We were lucky that the one was left that said yes. But if they both had said no, because the concept of a new bank at that point was too risky. For anybody to work with, we would have. We probably wouldn't be here. So a lot of near-death experience in those first 12 months, trying to figure out how to do it. The regulation changed. in the After five months, we had to completely pivot and try to figure out how to work with the banks initially as a banking partner. So a uh, lot, of, lot of near-death experiences trying to figure out the answers for a lot of questions that we didn't have. We figured it out and were able to launch those first 12 cards. And at that point, we felt very good that the product... Could be built but we didn't know if people were going to care about it uh, because there was a lot of conventional wisdom one of the decisions that we have made was we are going to charge zero fees which is good for customers but we will not we will not have any rewards and that was very unconventional the, the conventional wisdom at the point was that people wanted points people wanted rewards and we just decided that people thought they wanted rewards but ultimately they get these rewards that they cannot do anything with it's too complex and they're paying a bunch of fees that they might as well not pay them. So we decided to simplify the product, no fees, no rewards, great customer experience, all digital, and hopefully try to achieve some kind of product market fit that way. And we, and we launched six months after. We had a—we were about 20 employees at that point. We had a bet uh, of how many people were going to ask for the first cards. The average across the 20 was 1,000 people will get the card the first day. We announced the launch, and we got 200. And everybody was disappointed, everybody was sad, we went back to the office, oh my God, do we even have a product? Uh, And a couple months passed by, and after about four or five months, there was one PR news in a very niche publication, very focused on the engineering and design sectors, and then we got 5,000 in a day. And the following day, we got 10,000, and the following day, we got 20,000, and that was the moment, to your question, when I say, well, maybe we found product market fit in this niche, in these early adopters, and let's focus on that. Let's, let's, let's give fuel to, those type of, to that type of early adopter and, and go from there.
0: And uh, I think it's a great story. Um, and uh, once you saw that uh, momentum and uh, things building, uh, you've always been really intentional, um, David, about the team around you. And you have two uh, co-founders. And uh, I, when, when you and I have talked in the past, you've talked about how little you knew, know and, but, and how you needed to significantly augment yourself. And I'm sure people in the audience are really interested in um, how do they build the right team in order to get that product market fit and get that lift off. Talk a little bit about how you put those people together.
1: Yeah, sure. So I remember uh, discussing before I started UBank. I worked at Sequoia, and and uh, for two years trying to figure out if we if Sequoia was going to start an office in Latin America. And, and after two years, we all kind of decided that it was not that interesting. And that to me was the moment to to go and 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 launch by my own. And I remember one conversation with one of the partners at Sequoia when I was explaining him the idea what I wanted to do, and he was extremely direct. Uh, very very honest feedback saying seems like a really interesting opportunity, but these are all the reasons why you're the wrong founder for this idea you don 't you're not Brazilian, you don't speak Portuguese that well, you never worked for a bank, you don't know anything about credit cards, you know credit, you're not an engineer and you wanna build a technology company. So. But, but apart from that, you're perfect for the job, <laughs> apart right? Apart <laughs> from that. So all these different reasons, uh, but at the end said, but you, you can raise capital, you're gonna need a lot of capital, but then because you lack so many of different things, you better go find a team that fills all the different gaps that you have as a, as a founder of this business. And so that was my, after raising the seed round, that was my number one priorities, figuring out, literally putting in a list of these are all the weaknesses that I have to, to be able to start and scale this business. Let's go find people that can fill all of those gaps. And so the two initial screaming gaps were I was the perfect outsider into that industry. Being an outsider is great. Allows you to question a lot of that conventional wisdom. I don't think an insider in Brazil would have been able to see the opportunity. Mm. They were too consumed in the conventional wisdom around these banks I, I cannot be fought to, cannot be competed with. It's impossible to do this. You need an outsider looking in to question a lot of those uh, premises. But then to execute, you want an insider with you that really has a network that has regulate and understands regula- regulation and product. So I went to look for that perfect insider and met my co-founder, Chris, who came from one of the big banks in Brazil. And so, check, number one. The second big gap was, I wanted to build a technology company, not a bank. There is a, that, that, that is a very big difference, uh, culturally, conceptually, technically, what a technology company is versus a bank. And I studied engineer, but not computer science, so I went to look for a technical co-founder, and after meeting a lot of people, ended up uh, meeting Ed, and, and he joined me as co-founder. And so, that was the initial team. After those two, I was, there was not that many weaknesses or gaps as initially. And effectively, the roadmap of building the team going forward until today has been all about realizing quickly what we don't know and trying to find somebody that can come in quickly and fill that gap.
0: And, and being incredibly intentional about it. And uh, when I looked at the way you built the board at NewBank to be actually really helpful and work backwards from uh, gaps that you had uh, that you thought were necessary to succeed in the future,
1: yeah, that's right. I mean, ultimately, your board is—you should see your board as, a, as, as as your coaches, as your advisors, There's somebody that will fill all the gaps in knowledge and experiences that you have. And so, we try to be very diverse in the way we build the board, so that there was no uh, complementary. Every single seat in that board has to have a reason to exist and has, to, and hopefully, something different. The same thing about shareholders looking at your cap table and having, making sure that every single one of those shareholders and investors bring something different. If they're all the same, then you are wasting your, 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 your shares. You're diluting yourself for nothing. So we're very intentional about the team, the shareholders, the board, so that we optimize the amount of experience that we could have on the table.
0: You know, it was a, a generation before there was a, a new bank. Uh, Rich Fairbank and I uh, put together Capital One and we heard the same thing. Uh, one, it can't be done. Uh, Capital One is really going to go and compete with Amex and City and Chase. And if anybody can do it, it's not going to be you two, because you don't have the experience and the, and the list that you tapped out. So sometimes it takes uh, outsiders to be disruptors, to be the iconoclast, to challenge the conventional wisdom. And so much of what's happening in fintech, I think, fits that, that mold.
1: Yeah, experience is a, is a double-sided word. When you, when you have so much experience and you have so many answers, it's very hard to ask questions. And, and, and that's why we always say that we like to hire people with more questions than answers. Because when you have a question, when you have the beginner's mind, you can really question every premise, think for first principles, and sometimes that's how really, real innovation occurs versus if you come in with 40 years of experience about something, it's very hard to deviate from the, 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 the conclusions, the lessons that you have learned after decades of, of doing what you've done.
0: So so here, here you have, you've got Nubank now, it's a monoline, it's doing le- lending in Brazil, it's really working, your unit economics are terrific, your net promoter scores are to die for, um, and you're scaling it. Um, and you say, like we did in the Capital One days, look, we did, being a monoline has a certain fragility about it. So, um, talk a little bit about how you talked, how you were able to go from being a monoline to being multi-product serving the, uh, the po- population digitally. And, and if you look at the uh, neobanks across the planet, m- um, many of them have started with debit, particularly in the US, uh, Chime, Varo, Current, Albert. And then if you go to Europe, uh, you know Monzo and uh, Revolut, N26. Um, but very few of them started with lending. Uh, you, Avant, Mission Lane come to mind. Um, but you started with lending and you and I both agree it's really hard. You got that going, and then you went after the deposit base.
1: Yeah, that's right. So I think a lot of people around the world have seen a bit of the end game and kind of the bet, I think, that a lot of us in fintech are doing and everybody in banking is that the future of financial services will be of technology companies, similarly as what has happened in every single vertical in every single country around the world. Uh, but different people have taken different strategies. So as you say, a lot of neobanks globally starting with debits, with payments. Eventually, they have to go to credit because 70% of all the the entire profit pool in financial services globally is credit and it's also the most defensible profit pool. A lot of the payment profit pool, the interchange, is going to go away. So, everybody ultimately is going to have to get to credit. Um, For us, that meant that we basically wanted to start there, building that muscle since the very first day because credit is hard and you can lose your shirt very, very quickly. It's a bit like fire. You, You can do great things with fire, but you can get burned very, very fast. So, we decided to start with credit to build that, uh, build that skills since the beginning, following the example of Capital One. And it's also a great product to start building a brand and a customer acquisition engine. It's just naturally, as a human, that you it's easier to grow when you're giving somebody money than if you are going and taking somebody's money. As a new brand, you're gonna have less, it's gonna be easier to build trust when you're giving people money. So we started with credit, we started growing very fast, but we knew very clearly we have a huge vulnerability in that we were depending on very fickle funding. We did not have funding. Brazil has very little securitization. So it's a bit like juggling every every month trying to figure out how to fund the business. Um, So getting a banking license and getting deposits was, uh, was survival, it was absolutely survival, it was necessary. And we did not have time to try to build a model without getting a license. Since the very beginning we said, we're gonna be a bank, we're gonna get a license, it is what it is. Let's not delude ourselves.
0: And you did have a, um, a, a progressive and benign regulator in Brazil.
1: Yeah. So we, 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 this, is, this was a, a very positive surprise at the beginning. We found a regulator that understood how bad it was for Brazil to have five banks that dominated the market. And, and as technology enabled more competition, the regulator was, absolutely, go do it. But you have to follow all these rules. I'm not going to necessarily make it easier for you, but there is goodwill in, to see more competition. So um, so we applied for the, for the license. It took us almost four years. Brazil has in the constitution that no foreigner can invest in banks. So we had to go all the way to the president of Brazil to get a presidential decree. The president signed the presidential decree. Eventually, we got it after four years. It was a lot of work. But then by the time we got the license, we had a very large credit base on the credit card. And we had said no to tens of millions of people that we couldn't approve. So we launched savings product and went back to all these people and said, now we have a product for everybody and that meant ultimately that our savings deposit product today is much bigger than the credit product, and, uh, and we have more funding that, that we know really what to do with. Do you, um, when you,
0: you, your first move was into building out the, 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 uh, the uh, deposit side, and then the next move was to begin to focus uh, on geographic expansion. Um, did you, um, when did you take on Mexico in the arc, and did you do it, should you have gone earlier or should you have gone later?
1: That decision was tough, going to a new geo versus second product. Uh, I went in 2015 to Mexico, came back, super excited, saying we have to go to Mexico. What a great market. And Nigel being in the board and the rest of the board said, stop. You're not ready. You don't have a funding product. You don't have a license. You're not profitable. It's too early. You're going to deviate. And that that was the right advice. It was too early for us, and we completely stopped that and focused on building the deposit product. By 20, three years after, by 2018, we, our card product was profitable. We had a banking license. We had all, we had deposits. We were growing very fast. And at that point now, it felt ready that we could take on a second market. And that was the moment where we decided to start building uh, our operations in Mexico. And we're very happy that, that things happened that way. Partly though, was competition. We had the luxury a bit of waiting in a much, much more competitive market. Perhaps we couldn't have had the luxury to wait that long. But, uh, but anyway, it's, it's, uh, ultimately, I think it was the right. The, yes, thing. The, the moral of the story
0: is don't try and do it too early when you don't have the resources, but don't wait too long because the windows um, um, will close. One of the things that uh, I, I, I talked to a, a Capital One person who's quite senior in your organization, and I asked him what the difference was between his Capital One experience and his new bank experience. And he, he, he talked about velocity. He talked about pace. He talked about um, an energy in the organization to move really fast. Now, that would seem, uh, you're now 7,000 people, right? And your revenue in the quarter was nearly $900 million. You're not a small company anymore. How do you keep that energy and verve and entrepreneurism in the culture?
1: It's, it's, uh, it's not easy. Uh, organizations, as they grow, inertia creeps in, bureaucracy creeps in, something breaks. And always the, inst- the instinct is to go and create new processes, which create more inertia, which create more processes. So... You have to be very intentional about finding where the process creeps in and, and remove it. So partly is enabling everybody, everybody at the organization to raise their hand and push back when they see bureaucracy that is unnecessary. Yep. The second is try to maintain the, that DNA of entrepreneurship. Give people a lot of autonomy. Let them fail. Let them take risk and have an environment where it's okay to fail and take a, take a lot of those risks. And, um, and third, really continue to find that DNA talent and give them just a lot, of, uh, a lot of optionality to, to run and, and, um, and, and do great great things in the organization.
0: Yeah. I think, yeah, the gra- gravitational pull of inertia as you get bigger is really powerful. And I think it takes a, a leadership team that takes that seriously. I'm sure every time you get up in front of your uh, team, you're talking about, you know, bureaucracy busting, of course.
1: And, and, um, and, and sometimes it's as simply we have a Slack channel that's, that's called bureaucracy busters. And literally people would just go in and it's like, I don't understand cool. what this process is here. And we'll go in and, and kill it. So it, it can be very, very, very scrappy.
0: Any, any road to success for an entrepreneur um, is, uh, is never linear. There's times when it goes fantastically well and times when it's the darkest moment. Darkest moment for you when you were sitting there going, oh my God, I'm not sure if this is going to work. Maybe I should go back to Sequoia?
1: <laughs> yeah, there've been plenty of those. One was in uh, December 2015. I was in a conference here in year with Nigel and I received a message saying, change in regulation, not going to get into a lot of that, but effectively it was a in regulation that was going to require us to have close to a billion dollars over the weekend. And we did not have a billion dollars lying around. So um, there was a real crisis. We went, I went back to Brazil. We were working with the team. Through the weekend, we talked to the press. We talked to a central bank. Uh, and Monday morning, the press came out saying this change in regulation is going, is going to be the end of New Bank. And in the morning, there were about 1,000 Like 5,000 customers in the Twitter of the central bank of Brazil telling the central bank you have to stop this this is crazy Finally, we have a competitor that treats us well that gives us good products And once again the big banks and the bureaucracy is trying to stop it. We get a call from the president of the central bank Uh, we he tells us come meet us. We go and meet with them. He says stop. Don't worry about it It's not gonna happen calma as they say in Brazil And and it was a a great moment, but but, uh, also because the way we deal with the company and how transparent we were with everybody, it was a a crisis, but ultimately we came as a company way stronger because we were, through the entire weekend, very transparent with employees. We'd say that we wanted people like owners, not renters, and that meant that we had to have full transparency with the entire employees about what what was going on. And um, yeah, and all those evenings was uh, very, very stressful moments, but ultimately... Things worked out. I
0: think that you, you managed to get yourself out of a, a tricky spot there. Um, I'm very creative, and I'm watching the clock. and I, my, my last question, um, David, is if you could sit down with yourself from 10 years ago when you were just at the beginning of the journey, now knowing what you know and what you've been through, what advice would you give yourself for 10 years ago? And kind of what, 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 what if anything, would you
1: have done differently? A lot of the, a lot of different things. We would be sitting here for hours. But there was one thing that that really that, that I keep thinking a lot about, which is. We, being an outsider into that system and having heard so many insiders telling me that you, I couldn't do it, I became very um, resistant to hiring people with experience. And so our in- initial team, the first two, three years, were complete outsiders. And we were wanting to reinvent everything from scratch. Uh, absolutely everything. I they give the example collections, for example. We started in reinventing collections from first principle. It took us three years frankly to learn what somebody in the industry have would have us. told us in 15 minutes yeah. so it was too extreme it was too too much reinvention you do not need to reinvent everything you do you really do not need to innovate about everything pick a couple of areas where you really want to reinvent and then and then there are parts of the business that you can just uh, emulate and that's totally okay so that cost us time i wish we had brought a better mix of insiders and outsiders since the very beginning. It was too in the extreme. And try to ramp up the team with more experience sooner to be able to have uh, that very valuable combination between the ability to ask a lot of questions with people that have some answers,
0: I think that's right. You know, often um, we don't we uh, ask where experience come from and uh, how empirical it is, how justifiable it is, and usually there's not a lot of data behind that. So it's very easy to dismiss it and want to go back to first principles. But it's there for a reason, and it largely works. And building on top of that can make, make a lot of sense. Uh, David, we, we I think we have to wrap up. I want to personally say what a pleasure it's been to getting to know to getting to know you and being on the New Bank journey, and and how incredible it has been. And you, uh, to have somebody who's um, so thoughtful and uh, intentional and humble building something of this size is, uh, is really um, wonderful to see. So David Velez, thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you, everybody. Thank
1: you, Nigel. Thank you, everyone.
0: Thank you.